Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. We've got an exciting guest, a successful guest that um, I'm excited to have joining us today out of Houston, Texas, Chris Bounds. One of the few names that I don't didn't have to ask ahead of time, how do you pronounce it? Hopefully, it's as easy as it sounds, but how's it going today, Chris? Good, good. And and don't worry, pl- plenty of people um, tend to trump up uh, or trip up over bounds. Uh, I've been called <laughs> bonds and, and a few different other ways, but uh, doing well. How are you? Yeah, easy enough for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. So um, like we were kind of talking about before we jumped on, uh, we want to talk about your real estate story, how you became an agent, how you became an investor, and ultimately give our audience some nuggets, some takeaways on how they can take action uh, on adding investing to their real estate agent business. So um, starting from kind of like day one, like what kind of got you interested in real estate, like period? Well, my my family has invested in real estate. I, I remember as a kid going to my parents, that they had one rent house and in between tenants, I'm, I'm just a little kid. So I'm helping like haul out trash or whatever the, the tenants uh, uh, left whenever they moved um, or tree trimming and all this other stuff. So um, I remember doing that as a child and, and, and my grandfather had hundreds of re- uh, rental properties all across central Texas. So subliminally owning rental properties was, and owning real estate was um, was taught to me, but really it, it, it really um, sunk in whenever I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It, it's a starting point for a lot of folks that get going in real estate investing. I read that in college. And then my first initial thought after reading that book is, holy cow, I'm going to be rich. Uh, I didn't realize that, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, the book is phenomenal, but there's a whole how-to and components and strategy that the book doesn't go into. And, and, and Dude, you're, you're still in my story. Like, I think <laughs> if you read my bio and then just kind of like copy and paste, I mean, it's like the same thing. I, sorry to cut you off, continue on. Yeah, no, but but th- that that's the journey that a lot of I mean, because mainly because that book puts things in such simple terms and how wealthy people, how the rich view money and how they pursue business and investing and how they grow wealth and passive income over time. Um, it's not taught in schools, um, and so yeah, I, I read that book and I'm like, holy cow, I'm gonna be rich, and then but. Then I learned like, all right, there's a little bit more to it than this. Um, there, there, there's You actually have to learn strategy. You, um, you can't just go out and just knock on doors and expect to buy houses at a discount. Um, so I ended up having to go through that journey and evolution in, in my business. But ultimately in college, I ended up buying four houses my first year uh, before even graduating. <laughs> so how old were you when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Uh, 20 years old, I believe. Yeah. So I think I, I, I tell people the story for myself. I think I was 19, but I might've been 20. It was, it was somewhere between 19 and, and 20 for me. Same exact thing. I read the book and I'm like, going to be rich. This is going to be easy. This is like whatever. And then it's funny. Cause like I read probably, he has so many books that are like 
it's almost the same book with a different title. Yeah. And I kept, I kept reading and reading and reading. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like I get the mindset shift, but like, how do you actually do this? You, so, you want to hear an embarrassing story that um, uh, it, it goes into, I, I was young and naive and I basically believed everything that the book said, but yep. not necessarily understanding that there's, there's a whole strategy components part. So um, it talks about financial statements and financial literacy very important. And um, I think on his website, he had like a sample uh, financial statement worksheet. So I'm like, okay, cool. I've got, I've got, I've got to write all my assets down and all my liabilities. And I'm, I'm a college kid. I don't yep. know what assets and liabilities are. So I'm over here writing like, all right, what do I own? That's a value, a computer. Yep. <laughs> I've got a truck, I've got a desk and I'm writing these things down. I actually ended up handing this to a banker when I'm talking uh, to bankers for real estate loans as a college kid with no job, with no income. Just, I just didn't know. I, I truly didn't know. And I could only imagine what that banker did when, when he took that from me with a very professional face. And then I imagine he went back and joked with all his loan officers and bankers about this kid he has in his office. But um, you know what? You know what? Maybe. But here, here's the thing, right? Like if, if you're, if you've been in the industry, right. And, and you've been in the industry for a while, I've been in the industry for a while, a 19 year old kid walks up with that. Now you may laugh about it that day, but you're probably thinking in your head, if this kid is doing this at 19, what's he going to be doing at 29 and 39 and 49? Do you well, it's clearly saying? far, far beyond my peers. Um, Cause exactly. they're having those conversations with my peers, like, their eyes would glaze over. They had no idea because their thought was get past Thursday or Friday's test. Where yep. are we going to go and go? Where are we going to party? Like, um, it, or, and then you want to talk in goal for them. It's what job am I going to get? Like business, investing, real estate, zero, like less than 0% interest uh, for your typical college kid. So you said you bought four properties as a college student. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty impressive. I, I don't know that I've had any guests on that have really done. I have one guest on that I can remember that did one deal in college. So I think you're kind of the record holder at that age. How did you pull off four deals while you were still in school? So I, I'm out there trying to figure it out. Like I've read this book. I realize it's it's possible, but you know, how do you actually do it? And I ended up seeing this bandit sign that said, um, real estate millionaire seeks mentee, which seeks student. I didn't know anything about like real estate gurus or anything like that, but but that's basically what he was. He was a real estate educator that was teaching how to buy pre-foreclosures, which this is pre-2008. So uh, pre-foreclosures, pre-foreclosures that was on the rise. Um, So the, the time period here is about 2004, 2005. And, um, Call him up. He's got this weekend boot camp, fifteen hundred bucks or so, and I put it on the credit card and I, I drive to San. I was in College Station with Texas A&M. The event was in San Antonio. Went there, took this class, and basically he was teaching about knocking on doors, like pulling lists for pre foreclosures. Which in Texas you have a twenty one day time time period between when it's filed and when the actual auction date is on the first Tuesday of the month. So I'd pull these lists from my college dorm. And I'd map out on not, not, there was no Google maps then there was no iPhone then I'd actually buy the physical paper map and draw dots all across the city of San Antonio. Cause San Antonio was the only County in the nation that was fully online. So I draw these dots on all these properties that I need to go visit, drive to San Antonio on early Saturday morning, knock on doors all day, drive back. 
And then I would drive back again on Sunday. I didn't have money for a hotel. So I'd, I'd literally have to drive to and from call station San Antonio, which is about a three and a half hour drive. And I did this for three months straight. Finally got my first person who talked to me, who didn't like slam the door in my face, cuss me out or just completely ignore me. He actually said it was the last, it was the very last house. And me and uh, my, my friend at the time that we were both doing it together, knocked on the door and he walks out. I don't know, I, I'm not sure what I'm wearing, but probably cargo shorts and tennis shoes. And I, I look like a college kid. And this older gentleman walks out and say, um, we, we tell him, hey, we just came by to see if we can help you out the house, with the house situation. And then he just looks at us, he goes, how can you help me? Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy cow. It, it was like the uh, Wiley Coyote when he catches the Roadrunner for the first time. He's like, what do I do now? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was finally at the moment where someone was actually willing to engage with me. Yeah. And what we ended up doing is setting up a follow-up meeting with our mentor uh, to the, the guy who we took the boot camp from. And um, th- that was the actual meeting where we ended up taking down the deal, getting under contract. And we ended up doing what's called a whole tail transaction where we closed on it and ended up selling it to another investor, um, you know, shortly after. That's amazing. I mean, it just kind of proves like, you know, you're out there hustling, finding a need and, you know, making it happen. And I think there was a, you know, kind of something that that you said, you know, that I, I want to highlight, which is the mentor part. And um, I think the mentor part is so critical. So your story, you had and hit success much faster than I did. So I, you know, read the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, whatever it was, 19 or 20. And I didn't do my first deal until I think 24, 25, which, you know, you talk about embarrassing, like I I took so long to implement. And one of the reasons it took me so long is because I didn't have a mentor. And the mentorship part, I think is so important because number one, they kind of teach you like, okay, like if you're broke, you have no money, how can you get a deal? And obviously door knocking is something that like we all know works. Um, Maybe it's not something you do still today at your level, but like if you're young and hungry and you're ready to do this and you don't have a marketing budget, door knocking does and will, will always work. The second part is after you had that, you know, Wiley Coyote moment, like you had somebody to go to. And if you didn't, I would be curious to know what would have happened, whether or not you would have been able to pull that deal off or not, and kind of like how the direction of your business, the trajectory might have changed. And that's probably more a hypothetical question. But I think one thing that's a takeaway for everybody that's looking to become a real estate investor is get a mentor um, of some kind. So you guys, um, you did the hotel. So that was more kind of like a flip deal, right? Where you put, you got some quick cash. Um, I'm assuming, right? And you must have done some split with the uh, the mentor, right? Correct. I mean, since he brought all the money to close the deal, I think it was like a 60-40 where he got 60, we got 40, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cool with. Like, great deal for him. Like, basically, I brought him a free deal and he got 60% of it. Uh, all he had to do is show up on, and close on it. Um, and then great deal for me. I was able to learn in action, watch a guy negotiate the entire deal, watch him cl- uh, do the paperwork, follow him on the close, and see what he did on the back end when we ended up selling it. So it was a great deal for me. 
And then um, I think he was pretty excited just because of my age at the time. So I ended up becoming a, a pretty valuable testimonial for, for his program. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like when I was telling you about like the premise of this show, the, the whole premise, I was like, you know, we want the audience to walk away knowing that like anybody could do this. And I didn't know that story before you came on, obviously, but legitimately if a college kid can do a fix and flip deal, I mean, come on, like anybody can do it. Right. Yeah. And so do you want to go to the second deal too? I, that was the only deal that I did with that specific mentor. The second deal I did completely on my own. And um, it's a funny story because I should have never been able to find this deal. So we were looking for what's called code compliance or code enforcement violations. Usually it's like high grass or dangerous buildings or, or whatever. So it's flagged by the city, flagged by the county. Uh, so we ended up sending out this mailer. The guy lives out of state or, or uh, out of town. He lives in another town and he's the executor of his friend. Um, there's, there's, I guess, no living relatives. So he's the executor of this estate. And then there's this like, shack house that he's got to get rid of and living out of town it, it just it's kind of a headache for him so we ended up negotiating this deal i i don't know maybe it was like ten thousand dollars twelve thousand dollars for this shack and, and ended up finding a buyer before we ever closed on it so i didn't know what i was doing i was basically wholesaling mm-hmm. um so ended up closing on both of them simultaneously uh, where I didn't have to bring any money to the table. Now, this part you probably can't do today. I think the rules have changed in a lot of areas, but I was basically able to close on the tra- the, the purchase and then simultaneously close on the sale where I didn't bring any money and I just took a spread. Um, but we weren't supposed to get this deal because the reason why I was flagged on co-compliance is there was a shed in the back that was falling. It was like leaning or falling over and uh, the city had already demolished it. They just never removed the house from the from the list. Mm. Um, but I didn't know that. And all I knew was it was on the list and therefore we took action. I mean, we, we reached out to the owner and, um, ended up finding the executor and bought the deal. So the other thing I, you know, want to highlight with both of those deals that you didn't say, but you said within the stories is you just did two deals with no money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Two, two. I mean, the first deal was there was money needed, but you didn't use your money. And then the second deal, um, I mean, literally, you didn't put up anything, right? Because you you double closed on it. It's all creativity. So we're solving problems. I mean, you don't have to have money, um, but money is needed in the in real estate transactions. No doubt about it. Um, if you want to talk about actual hard costs, you know, I was sending out mailers and I had gas and I, I definitely had a lot of time invested, but it didn't necessarily take me bringing 20, 50, 70, $100,000 to actually close on these particular transactions. Depending well, on what you're, what you're doing though, you might. It's just for what I was doing, I, I didn't need that. In the first one though, like you didn't even have hard cost of marketing, right? Because you were door knocking, which I mean, again, money, you know, time is money, but like you were door knocking plus you had somebody else put up the cash. So you put nothing into that one, right? Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. and as a college kid, like I, I, I I'm broke. Um, I, I don't have a job, full time student, and outside of a, a small allowance to pay for food and all that, I, I really don't have any money. So, I being able to create 
whatever it was, $17,000, $20,000 within a couple of months, like that, that was amazing. And, and that feeling being able to put that in the, in the bank account was absolutely incredible. And then that's where I, I started realizing, Hey, if I could do this at scale, like, like I'm doing this as a college kid only, with only a few hours a week, if I could do this at scale, what would that look like? So yeah. um, I was pretty exactly. excited. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm your banker and you came to me with that bank statement at 19, I'm like, where's this, where's this kid going? Because, <laughs> you know, unless you just totally, you know, give up on it, it's like, you know, doing that, doing your first few deals. So fast forward a little bit. I know, you know, time has passed. Like, what are you kind of like doing now? Like, what's your, what's your, what have you been up to? Like, how did that kind of transform from doing a couple of like wholesale deals to like where you're at today? Yeah, so um, me and my business partner, we, um, uh, she ended up moving away to a um, different city after graduation. I moved to Houston, got a high-paying sales job. This is where a good life gets in the way of, of a great life. So yep. I, don't, I, I don't have any debt. I get a really high-paying sales job right out of college. So I was making like $80,000, $90,000 a year with no debt. Plus, I have a roommate, so my living expenses is half. Um, so I'm actually doing really well. I still have two rental properties from the first four deals that that, that I did um, while in college. So I have that. Um, but as far as real estate, I actually didn't do anything extra until 2011 when, when I got married. Now I'm starting to think about the future and like, college funds and retirement and all this other stuff. Uh, so I ended up going to my wife and, and telling her within weeks of getting married, I told her, I was like, Hey babe, I want to start flipping houses again. And uh, she tells the story a lot better than I do. Cause uh, basically I dropped this bomb on her lap and she grew up more traditional. Like you just work until you retire. Um, but she went along with it and we ended up doing the same thing I did in college, knocking on doors for pre-foreclosures bought a deal first month ended up being one of our top grossing deals ever um a very significant deal because it's ultimately what allowed me to go full-time in real estate but ended up knocking on this door of this pre-foreclosure it was the one and only deal that she actually went on the inspection with me smelled horrendous uh i mean you know you know what the deals are i smelled yeah. money um she smelled all the other things in the house yeah. so she politely excused herself while um i took that deal down went and renting it out for a few years and then uh sold it for uh well it was over a hundred thousand dollar gross profit but um fast forward that so i ended up getting licensed in 2014 still yeah. had a job but in 2015 that deal we sold for a hundred thousand. Another deal that we had bought shortly after that that deal that uh, Jamie and I bought together sold for about one hundred and twenty thousand gross profit. And then we had another deal that we had bought earlier that we had sold for it was probably closer to a fifty thousand dollar profit. So it was these three um, consecutive deals, like bam, bam, bam. And then my employer cut my salary in half. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we've got this whole real estate thing going. And the proof of concept is there. We've got the groundwork and foundation there. Uh, we're, we're, we're to the point where we could probably start scaling. And then on, on top of that, we got some pretty good paydays. Mm -hmm. And then my employer, which I was already kind of get, getting bored and disinterested with it, you know, they cut my pay in half. So 
that was 2015, decided to go full time. Uh, so I ended up quitting my job. It was nothing. Uh, uh, there, there's no grand cer uh, ceremony <laughs> in, in, in the, uh, the actual quitting process or going to HR and, and doing that. So it was nothing YouTube worthy. But um, all in all, we went full scale and flipping because now, now I needed income. We were buying rental properties. We did a couple flips, but now we needed income. So we started flipping. Um, that's how we're paying bills. And since then, we flipped 200 or so houses. Um, but today, our main focus is buying rental properties, yep. building wealth and passive income. Because ultimately, flipping houses, wholesaling houses, it's a great way to make money. And, and you can make a lot of money doing it. But it's really no different than the real estate agent doing commissions. Yep. Because once you wholesale a house, once you flip a house, the income's gone. Like, it. I mean, you get it, but you'll never get any more income from that transaction again. Yeah. yeah. But when you buy a rental, you've got multiple streams of income, whether it's um, equity, equity gain, appreciation, uh, tax depreciation, and then cash flow through the actual rent. So, and we realized that most of our best deals were from rentals. So we started scaling back on the flipping in 2018 and allowing us to actually hold more rentals. And then now as of recently, we closed on a 384 unit or we're general partners in a 384 unit uh, multifamily uh, property in Florida. So that, that's the main focus now is more the wealth building passive income game versus the uh, very, very exhausting sometimes active flipping. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you you said a few things that, that I liked. I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to misquote you, but basically one of the things that I think is so important for anybody that's like thinking about investing is you know trading the the good life for the great life and i i think that's again specifically for agents that are that are listening you can make a bunch of money as a real estate agent you can make a bunch of money flipping too but like you're never as a as a real estate agent maybe you make 100 200 300 dollars a year which is a good life and i'm not going to say that there are not agents that make above that there are but, but that's like the, the 0.1%, you know, I don't even know, probably smaller than that, like one out of like 10,000 probably that are above earning like $300,000 a year. So you can make a really comfortable life, but you know, your shift in focus in 2018 is something that like, I think that every agent that's listening to this call should think about, which is that whether you're flipping homes or whether you're, um, you're a really highly, you know, paid agent, once you're done, you're done. And once you do that last deal, whether it's a listing, a buyer side, whatever, there's nothing, there's nothing left. And um, the passive income stuff is so important, especially for agents, because there is no such thing as like a pension for an agent. There's no retirement account for an agent. Um, and the passive income stuff, it, it compounds. So the thing about it, and, I, and I'm sure this is how you did the math, and we, we do this all the time, we kind of look at like, our wealth building that we've done since we've been in business. I have a part, two partners and we look at like in the 15 years, like where did our wealth get built? And it's not, we do a ton of flips. We have a big real estate brokerage 
and it's in neither of those. It's like two thirds from the rentals, but the rental stuff, like it, it takes time to kind of build up, but as it's building up, you can't compete with it because it, it's working even when you're not working. Yep. And I'm sure that's what you looked at when you made that conscious decision, like, Hey, I'm going to flip a little bit less and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do some syndications, do some other type of deals and 384 units. I mean, you know, I don't know what percentage you're, you are of that, but that's a huge deal to kind of be a part of. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And and ultimately where I started getting this um, idea was as far as switching from active flips to, uh, to rentals is, I mean, it, it's a lot more competitive today. So th- there's that. Um, but also if we would have kept just half, even less than half of all the rentals um, and not flipped them. So if yeah. we, if we, we would have not don't, scaled. Don't, do not, do not go there with me right now. <laughs> don't even do it right but now. Yeah. You, you know what that number is. And for, and for us, like from an equity standpoint, I'd never have to work again. Now th- that's not true on an active income because I'm, Truth be told, rental properties aren't passive. I mean, you do get some cash flow. I mean, you're not going to be able to retire off that unless you've got 50 plus um, until they're paid off. Um, But from an equity standpoint, like we'd be set. Yeah. So that's why, and that's also why we're going into the multifamily. It's just easier to scale at this point. Like instead of buying a whole bunch of single families, I'll, I'll just buy one multifamily and I'll partner with some other people and be able to scale faster. But um, you said it before uh, recently where the real estate agent, there is no retirement option. There's no, it's actually worse from a retirement standpoint than most fortune 500 uh, positions. Yep. Because at least with them, you can get a 401k. Um, there's certain, certain stock incentives. And then there are some real estate companies that, that have stock incentives now. It's kind of a newer thing. Um, but as far as the, t- the typical real estate agent at most real estate brokerages, there is no retirement. They actually must make enough money to and then have the discipline to take the, the, the net of that money, take a portion of it and go out and invest it somewhere else, whether it's stocks, mutual funds, bonds, notes. Um, putting and, that, in and, our- that, and that's so hard to do. That's so hard to do. And, and like, I'm an investor. I think about this stuff all the time, but like, I know even for myself, like as I make more active income, it's so easy to, to, to be like, oh, like I could get a bigger house, a bigger car. Yeah. You well, know, because you've worked so hard for that active income, yep. you feel like you deserve it. Yep. And, and, and you do, but having that discipline to have delayed gratification and say, hey, look, I'm not gonna go out and buy the Range Rover. I'm actually gonna put it towards a rental property. Yep. And I'm gonna suck it up for another couple of years. And then I'm gonna do it again. And I'm gonna do it again. And I'm gonna do it again. I mean, that's ultimately how folks, I mean, you wanna take like like foreigners and, and when they come over, they keep that very minimalistic mindset and they work their butts off. They don't spend anything. 30 years go by. They've got multi-million dollars of assets and businesses and all this. And you're like, what? Yeah. I mean, just, just because you don't look like you're rich, driving the nice car, wearing the fancy clothes, going on the lavish vacations, having the, the you know, half a million plus thousand uh, dollar house. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not wealthy. Uh, another good book to recommend is The Millionaire Next Door. It's a great case study and shows you exactly what the average millionaire in America looks like. And it's not 
the person in the nice house and the nice car. It's actually the blue collar worker that buys used cars and doesn't go on lavish vacations. And they typically have investments in real estate and own their own business. Yeah. there And there hasn't been, there almost hasn't been a guest that I've had on, you know, in the, in the past few years that hasn't said something related to living below your means um, in some capacity, in some way. And I, I think that, you know, it's kind of an understated, I mean, it's just a very simplistic thing, but it's kind of understated, like in growing, like any sort of business or wealth in general is like, if you're always spending what you're making, it's hard to kind of grow. Yeah. So it, again, it's just such a simple thing. And but- you can redefine what, so uh, living below your means, at least for me, and I mean, maybe, maybe this isn't for everyone, but my initial thought there is, you just don't spend any money and you live like a very unsatisfying uh, uh, life because you're just not spending anything. You're not going on vacations, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. All it means is spending less than you're making. Right. So exactly. you, you can live, you, you can live below your means, but just going out and making more money. Like if you, if you got a hundred thousand dollar income right now um, you can cut expenses, but there's only so much you can really cut. But there's unlimited amount of money you can make. Yeah. So now you can do both. You just got to figure out what's the easiest path. I, I mean, for me, I've always figured like it, it's a lot more easier to make more money. I, I, I love expenses. I, Don't buy stupid stuff. I love that you said that because, like, you know, I, as you're saying that, I'm like, huh, that's kind of like what I did. You know, like I, I don't spend lavishly, but at the same time, like I'm not living super frugally. And I've always looked at it like, well, if I have to put in an extra 10 hours a week to be, you know, income of, above expenses, then that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I chose to do. You could go the other way too. You could just say, hey, like, I'm not going to make more money, but I'm going to cut my expenses. So it's not just as simple like you're saying is like, okay, I'm going to cut my expenses and live, live off of nothing. It can also be like, hey, I'm going to work an extra 10, 15 hours a week and make more money or form a business or do something to be more effective. And, you know, instead of making a hundred, I make one forty. whatever, whatever that is. Absolutely. And then when you get those wins, you don't have to buy the Range Rover, but treat yourself, like go out to a nice dinner uh, on that hundred thousand uh, dollar rental that we, we ended up selling help that helped me go full time. We bought a, it's like a coffee machine. Um, it's like a mini Starbucks in our house. It's a $1,500 coffee machine. We still yeah. have it today. I, I was never really a coffee drinker before getting this. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Um, but that was how we treated ourselves, as opposed to going out and buying the new car or upgrading our, our lifestyle that much. Um, and on the second deal where we made like 120 grand, we just went out to a really nice dinner. Uh, we dropped way more money than we normally would on dinner. It was a good date night, but everything else just went back into the business. So let me ask you this for, for agents that are kind of on here now that like either haven't done their first deal yet or have done just like a couple of deals, like, you know, seeing that you're, you're, you're doing 300 plus units right now, like what advice would you give to them to just get, get going and get started? Yeah. I've pulled this many times. Um, The reason why people do not invest is because they either think they don't have enough money, so financing, or they just don't know how the education. And really, it's all financing is the education, too. It's just knowing how to finance the deals. So you've just got to get educated. 
it's so easy to do that now because because of the internet. Um, so that wasn't necessarily around when I was, I mean, the internet was around, but YouTube didn't exist at the time or, or it, it definitely isn't what it is now. So you can learn anything you want on YouTube. Now, it is going to take time. <laughs> so watching your show, watching my show and the hundreds of other shows, it will take time to piece the information together. Or you go to a boot camp, you go to a mentorship program be careful before spending your money. I mean, get, get reviews and testimonials, but ultimately getting educated is the easy part. You do have to decide to do it though. Um, mm -hmm. The financing is easy. There are hard money companies everywhere that will fund near and, and up to a hundred percent of a deal that makes sense. So the financing is the easy part. Once you actually get educated, then you can get private lenders. I mean, we've used over well over $18 million in private lender funds, folks just like you that have money in a retirement account or whatever, and they just wanna earn a good rate. So they're happy to fund us on our deals. And then networking with other folks. Um, real estate agents are the center of their community. So they have a wealth of information and resources that they can provide investors in exchange for education. Um, so just be a part of your network, uh, grow that network, start talking with other investors and figure out how you can add value to them, to their business or whatever it is that they need. And in exchange, you could potentially walk walk through a deal with them and see how that deal uh, transpires. How did they get the deal? How did they negotiate it? Um, you know, did, did they send a mailer? Was it a Google Google ad? Or how did they finance it? How are they rehabbing it? How are they finding the contractors? It's just networking. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so what I used to do a bunch of like seminars myself locally. And one of the lines I said every single time was the more you learn, the more you earn. And um, it's 100% true. And I agree with you. I think the first step is, is getting educated. Um, I would highly advocate, you know, for anybody that can afford it to join a coaching program, if you can, there are, there's a lot of great ones. Like Chris mentioned, there's some that aren't so great, but like there are tons of great ones. I would, I would um, join a mentorship program. Like Chris said, get educated on YouTube, figure out what you want to learn about. And then if at all possible, find someone that's a local expert, you hooked up with a local area mentor that gave you mentorship. And I'm sure you were learning at the same time. And I think that's like that, that, like you said, like, I think that's the formula, like, especially in the beginning. And then of course, like you've got to then take action. But, um, but I think, yeah, actually, and if you're young in your career, um, you could work for an investor. Like yeah. that's something else that I, I wish I did early on. I could have gone and worked with investors that are doing what well, it doesn't have to be an investor. Maybe it's a hard money company. Maybe it's a um, yeah. an insurance company that focuses on real estate investments or, or multifamily. So find that niche that you're looking for and go work with them. Get your real estate license. Um, I assume that it's probably most of your audience right now. So you may already have that. Now, if you're already have an established business where you're doing five, 10, $20 million a year, maybe that part might not make sense, but you can go back to the other thing where, like you were saying, either join a mentorship program, get a coach, uh, get a mentor, or if you want to do it a little bit on the light side, as far as cost, just go to a couple boot camps. Mm -hmm. I'm going to one uh, in October uh, for multifamily. It's one of the first multifamily boot camps that I've ever paid for. 
200 bucks. Like, and I know guys who are in that program that are actually doing deals that are far less experienced than I am in the, in the overall uh, real estate um, timeline. So um, I'm like 200 bucks. That, that's, that's nothing. Oh yeah. We can book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because like I talk to people and they say, Oh wow. Like this mentorship, whatever, it's a lot of money. And I, I look at it like in real estate investing, there's millions to be made. It's we're not talking about making like a few hundred dollars. So even the higher price tag ones, I mean, you don't have to be in a higher price tag one to, to succeed, but like even the higher price tag ones, if you're applying, you're going to get like, I mean, 10 times ROI is probably too low. Like you're going to get, you know, whatever it is, 50, hundred times, like what you spent. Um, but, but even the lower, the, the prices of them obviously don't necessarily reflect the value, but like, I, I would do something if you could and get around other people. Um, so Chris, you mentioned, um, now, did you say you had a podcast as well? Yeah, invested agent. So we've had a, um, a a local community. Then COVID happened, so it was a monthly meetup event. We were teaching other real estate investors and agents. And when COVID happened, everything went online. So we did the same thing too. But ultimately, we started rethinking of what what it is that we actually really want to do. And it's kind of like what you're doing. It's I want to I, as an agent, it, it, it's always surprising how little education agents have on investing. Yet they all want to invest. Yeah, like most real estate agents want to invest. Most do not. Well, yep. so we, we ended up uh, uh, rebranding that event and um, um, made an organization called Invested Agents, where we teach agents how to increase their income, build wealth, and create the lifestyle that they deserve through real estate investing. And then we have a real estate team. So folks that want to join our team, they can work uh, right beside us and um, happy to teach them anything we can do to help them grow their business and, and build wealth and build passive income. It helps us, helps them. We want to do anything we can to help them succeed. So it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely. So how can they check that stuff out? The invested agents, um, invested agents, uh, agents.com is our hub. Uh, there you can get connected to our community. It's a free community. Anyone can join. Um, we have tons of video. We, we've got basically a video a day dropping on YouTube. Um, we, we have a blog and then, um, but you can get connected with us on, if, if you go to investagents.com and has our social links for Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I'm not quite as up to date on TikTok. I keep trying to, <laughs> I keep trying to stay we're, consistent we're on that. Old. Chris, we're too old. We're too old. No, man. hey, the average age on TikTok right now, I think is uh, like uh, 30 to 50. So oh, really? uh, okay. It, it's, it, it's the evolution of everything. Remember, Facebook was for college kids. Like yeah. now it's like 40 to 60 year olds on, on Facebook. So um, yeah, everyone, they'll come up with something else. Like the kids always want to find their own party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, then the old folk find out about it and then they start something new. So yeah, the evolution. Well, I want to thank you. I know you're a busy guy uh, doing a lot of awesome things. I want to thank you for, for joining. And, um, you know, uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode, another great guest at the Asian Investor Podcast. Uh, thanks again, Chris. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. 
To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.